I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome to episode 217 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we have a very special interview with Mr. Tommy Klufetis, drummer of Ozzy's band, The Last Run of Black Sabbath, shows from 13 on anyway, uh, Rob Zombie, Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent, so on and so forth. He's promoting a new solo album, his first solo album, his first set of music or songs that he's ever written or sung on, actually. There's a lot of cool stuff that's going on here. The name of the project is Tommy's Rock Trip, and the album is called Beat Up by Rock and Roll. Uh, I fumble that during the interview while talking to him. I, I have this thing about writing down album titles so that uh, I can, you know, blurt it out at least once during the interview. And I fumble it almost every time <laughs> I did it with this one anyway. So is what it is, but uh, I think it's a cool interview overall. Uh, Tommy sounds like a really down to earth person that really knows. I don't want to say knows his role, but he understands what he's doing within the confines of what he's doing. And look, he's been Ozzy's drummer for how long now? Uh, that goes to show that, you know, he does what, what's asked of him and whether you want to knock him for that or not. Uh, the fact of the matter is how many people have held that position in the last X amount of years, you know? So consider that. Um, also, I mean, this album, and I'll say it to him in the interview is a fun, fun album with a lot of attitude. Um, the way that he says that the album was recorded is really amazing to me because there are a lot of bands trying to do old school stuff and they think that that's only through, you know, the doing maybe live uh, lo-fi recordings or things like that. And sometimes that works. But not all the time. A lot of times it's just missing that raw attitude that those songs are supposed to project. You know, and they just don't, for whatever reason, they, they just don't do it. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good stuff still out there. There's just other stuff that just falls flat. And I think that this album comes off pretty well. And I'm not just saying that because I got to interview him. I truly think that the, um, the album is really cool. It's all. It also has um, Eric Dover, who's known for his work in Slash's Snake Pit and Jellyfish, a guy who, you know, you really analyze it. You wonder why he didn't he didn't do more, or why he didn't get the notoriety that maybe he deserves because he's a fantastic singer. So I mean, I don't know. Could it be something behind the scenes? Could it be? just that he didn't want any more than what he got. You know, that could be, that could be possible as well. So who knows? Um, I do recommend you checking it out right, right. You know, up on the website, I featured this album during the new releases and it came out, I believe two weeks ago from when I'm recording this. And, um, you, I mean, I have links there to Spotify and to Apple music and, I get no money out of that whatsoever. So, you know, um, if you want to check it out, cool. If not, if you want to pick it up, it's only out on CD. That was something that uh, one of my patrons brought up and he wanted to buy it on vinyl, but it's Frontiers is only releasing it on CD for now. Speaking of the patrons, I do want to give a shout out to them. Uh, the patron that did bring that up is Jeremy Weltman in the UK. I also want to give a shout out to my latest patron, Mr. Chris Vaglio, who is also the co-host of the Galaxy of Geeks podcast that I do. That's uh, Thursday nights, the live stream, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, 
And um, yeah, we talk about all stuff, you know, Marvel, uh, Star Wars, Game of Thrones when that was going on, American Horror Story, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of cool stuff that we do regarding, you know, geek culture that's covered there. And um, yeah, I also want to give a shout out to Brad Dahl of Yarg Metal. Uh, give a shout out to Mark Striegel from Talking Metal. Give a shout out to the metal dentist, Gabriel Ruiz, uh, Mike Jones, and to Steve Hoker, who will be the person who will be co-hosting the show with me for episode 218. Um, he was hesitant to come on, and uh, I've said this a bunch of times. You know, my whole objective with doing these Friday Night Live shows Sure, if I can get guests on and it's a cool show, that's awesome. Um, guests as an artist. Um, my ultimate goal is just to have cool conversations with people and have um, people in the chat chime in and throw questions in there, throw comments in there as well to make it like a group atmosphere. So when that Friday night show and Signals from Mars is on, you guys can chime in and you know, throw whatever questions around. You guys can can talk amongst yourselves as well, which often happens. Uh, this past Friday, I spoke to Sky and Matt from the Canadian band Sumo Psycho, and it was a really cool atmosphere. And I was able to squeeze in some questions from the chat as well. They were very gracious with their time, and that'll be coming up later this week in podcast format. So be on the lookout for that. And um, Signals from Mars, which I just mentioned, uh, you can find all the links to how to watch that up there on MarsAttacksRadio.com because it's broadcast on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Periscope. No, Periscope is Twitter. Twitch is what I mean. Um, it's also broadcast on a bunch of other formats that are popular in other regions of the world like India and Korea and Russia and China and stuff like that. You know, I've figured if I'm paying for a service that allows me to cast a net that wide, I'm going to take advantage. So it actually broadcasts on 17 different platforms. So there you go. Um, on MarsAttacksRadio.com, you can also check out all the links to the various social media sites where you can keep up with the podcast, keep up with the guests that we're going to have, because I usually announce who's up next for the show. And if it interests you, hey, check it out on a Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. in the UK. And for those of you in continental European time zone, it is midnight Friday going into Saturday. So it is usually a lot of fun, you know, talking to everyone and and just talking to the various guests that we have on. So this week will be all about the patrons. It will be us talking about Iron Maiden and a few other things. So should be neat. I hope you guys can join us and join in the chat. And if you do want to become part of Patreon, there's Patreon forward slash Mars Attacks podcast. Uh, you get a bonus podcast called the Victor M. Ruiz podcast, where I talk about various uh, music subjects. And uh, also uh, you get a ton of videos. Uh, for example, today, as I'm recording this, uh, there's going to be, I believe it's like eight videos will be posted. And from that, the patrons comment on them. And if a, if they so deem that a track from a video is worthy, it makes the favorites of 2021 list, which uh, is up there on Spotify and Apple music as well. Uh, if you're hesitant to check that out or hesitant to join in, you can always go to MarsAttacksRadio.com forward slash playlists, plural, and see the playlist that we have been putting together. It's, believe it's close to 80 songs right now and somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight hours. So if you're looking to check out new music that's come out this year and you're not sure what 
to check out, that might be a good place to go to because you're going to find actually songs from Tommy's rock trip in there and you'll find all types of other stuff that's come out this year as well. So yeah, check that out. I also have a newsletter up there on the website, sign up for that and you can keep up with all the various things that are going on uh, with me appearing on various shows um, any, anything from, I appeared on decibel geek podcast recently. I appeared on the aftershocks or not aftershocks. Um, sorry, one of the co-hosts, but wrong show skulls. Uh, it is shockwave skull sessions, uh, is the other podcast with, uh, Matt Hartnett, who's also on aftershocks TV and with the legendary Bob now Bandian. So a pleasure to appear on that alongside of Mark Striegel to talk a little bit about podcasting and music in general it was a whole lot of fun. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, thank you for checking this episode out. Uh, thank you. If you decide to hop on the signals from Mars live show, or maybe check out the Patreon, um, anything you can do to support. And I understand times are tough, but not everyone can, you know, chip anything in, but you can also help out by just retweeting, sharing on Facebook, commenting, so on and so forth. So, um, that is it. Uh, we're just going to jump right on into the interview. Thank you once again. And, um, that's it. See you next time right here on the Mars attacks podcast. I leave you with Tommy Clufetis. Hello? Yo, can you hear me? Hello. Yep, I can hear you and I can see you. All right, we're off to a good start then. <laughs> that is excellent, yes. Yeah. Am I speaking with Victor? Yes, you are, sir. Hey, Victor, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, how are you? I'm excellent, but I'm getting better by the moment. <laughs> End of the line for today for interviews? Yeah, for right now, yeah, quick one. Yeah, cool. Um. I have a bunch of questions here for you. I have Any- a bunch of answers. <laughs> awesome. The guy behind you isn't going to answer anything, is he? Oh, no. He'll talk in a minute. Yeah, he brings Happy Meals out in between. All right, cool. Um, you're originally from Detroit, correct? Yes, sir. Are we, we're, we're on, right? I hope you're on from the beginning. I've, I've been recording from the beginning. I like it. That's my man, Victor. It sounds like you're almost from Detroit, if you're doing oh. that. <laughs> why do you think so many people revered Detroit as a big stronghold for rock music? What do you think is the it factor that Detroit has that other cities don't? I don't know. I do. You know what it is? It's the attitude. Okay. That Detroit is a hardworking town. And, you know, I live in California right now, and I never Mm -hmm. really realized the specialness of it until I left. Right. You know, you grow up and I was born and raised there and born and raised with a certain fighting, fighting attitude. Right. You know, and I carried that through today. And I think it's in my drumming, how Mm -hmm. I play. Um, We just do everything a little bit harder than everybody else. You know, it's right. a tougher lifestyle. There is blue collar, you know, it's factories and, you know, the epicenter of it was the sixties and the seventies there, mm. because before that, everybody migrated there to, you know, look for work, right. you know? Right. So, so you brought all these hardworking people there who were probably poor mm-hmm. and looking for work. And it kind of, you get hardworking people every, and you work hard and then you play hard and you right. want to go to the bar and have a beer. And, and Detroit people want to hear bands rocking and rolling. They want to sweat. They want to feel the music. So that's how I grew up. I, mm-hmm. I would say it's, it's the attitude. It's the circumstance. 
of everything. You know, you kind of hear the same thing. You know, I was so lucky to play with Black Sabbath and they were from Birmingham, England. It's right. a very, very, it's like the, it's like Detroit transplanted in England. It's gray. <laughs> there's a lot of factories mm -hmm. and the music, even though it's different, it's very similar. It's very mm -hmm. hard edged. It's very hard edged blues based. Right. So I, believe it or not, I, I really saw a lot of similarities Gotcha. And I think that's kind of why we kind of got along a lot of the because our outlook on music was mm -hmm. the same. You know, right. there's a certain attitude that you have to have mm -hmm. um, to play that kind of music. And right. you should want to kick everybody's ass is what it is. Yeah, you know, absolutely. bands in Detroit, where I come from, you want to destroy the other guys. Uh -huh. You know, you don't want to leave anything left for them. <laughs> right. And California is not that way. Everybody's nice and everybody's gets along and Hey, how are you? But I don't operate that. I'm nice, but <laughs> I want to kick your ass when it comes to playing right. rock and roll. And I don't right. think that's a bad thing. No, ab absolutely. I mean, you're not leaving anything left to the imagination. You're getting straight to the point. You're laying all the, you know, chips on the table and this is who you are. So you know, you're not, as you're saying, someone who maybe, I don't know, doesn't want to share that same type of approach when it comes to playing. You're giving people what you think they need. Well, I mean, I got into music. You, you There's only, you can only do it your way. Right. You know, when you start, that doesn't mean you don't take advice from people. But mm -hmm. when you play from the heart, I think that translates to people. Right. You know, when you're not it doesn't come across the same way. So, you know, a very important part of playing music is just letting your yourself, you know, out. Right. You know, you know, you kind of, from the time I was a little kid growing up, people said, Oh, you can't play that way. You can't hit the drums like that. You're too loud. You're too this, you're <laughs> too that. And if I would have listened to them, I'd be playing in a wedding band, you right. know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting how you're talking about, you know, putting your feeling into your playing. One of the things that drives me nuts, and, and I grew up playing drums as well, uh, obviously, obviously not at your level, um, but when people start to talk about um, the greatest drummer, the greatest guitarist, the greatest is people don't realize that a lot of it comes down to that player's feeling, the way you know, each individual person plays a little different. You can kind of approach something, but you're still going to do it your way. Um, I don't think that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, obviously you have your connections to Ozzy and Sabbath. I've always haven't had an affinity for Bill Ward and his playing. Um, I also love John Bonham. To me, I can listen to both and I don't need them to compete. You know, I can have a burger and I can have pizza. I can enjoy both. You know, I don't need it to be a competition all the time. Do you think it's fair, you know, as a player at your level to be compared to other players or to have, you know, someone say this has, someone has to be the absolute greatest or. That's just the way it is. People like to rank people and, and that's just all they have. When you don't do it, people love to try to, either build you up or knock you down. I mean, I get it. I mean, yeah. I love Bill Ward's playing. I love John Bonham's playing, but I also know that there's a lot of other musicians out right. there that, you know, those are more popular bands, but mm -hmm. I may think there's other musicians that have different talents that I enjoy that people right. may not even know about. Sure. So, I mean, it's all personal preference. What I Absolutely. like about music or what I consider great, you know, is not what a lot of other people consider great, you know, especially in the rock world. I listen to a lot of blues. My bar is a different bar for what great is. You know, mm -hmm. I listen to a lot of early rock and roll, like Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis and Fats Domino right. and, and Little Richard. And even before that, you know, um, Jimmy Reed and Elmore James and when I listen to this music or I listen to Louis Armstrong and when I listen to him, I go, wow, that is great. 
Mm-hmm. That is pure genius. When I listen to Ray Charles, I go, that is great. That is pure genius. It's genius mm-hmm. through the through the mind and through the soul there. It just surpasses all this other stuff that people say is great, whether it's, you know, there's a lot of bands that we're not mentioning that I go, man, that's not great. It's good, but right. it's not as great as that stuff. So right. it's all, you know, it's all relative. You know, right. in, in music, there's not a scorecard. You know, at, at, <laughs> right. the, at the end of a basketball game, it doesn't matter who was a better player. It matters who put more baskets in the hoop. Right. You know, that's what matters. But there, there's a lot of personal opinion in music. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the gig. You know what I mean? Yeah. People are going to you know, not think I'm great. Or some people are going to think I'm great. You can't listen to the ones who don't think you're great. And you can't listen to the ones who think you're great. You just got to do what you do. Right. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, Next question. When I was a kid growing up wanting to be an aspiring drummer, I grew up in an age where, you know, Kiss was the first band that I was turned on to. Um, as a result, as a kid, I always wanted to play a, a Pearl drum kit because Peter Chris played a Pearl. Um, yeah. for you growing up, was there a brand that you wanted to play because you saw someone playing and said, that's going to be mine. That's going to be the first thing that I'm going to play. Yeah, sure. When I was a little kid, like everybody else, the first drum set I had was a, uh, it was actually a blue sparkle Royce, which I okay. think is like, you know, like some cheap Japanese brand. And then mm-hmm. I got a really cheap Pearl was big in the eighties. That's when I'm from. That was the thing. I had a really cheap Pearl drum set mm-hmm. and I was think I was loyal to that for a while, but that's just kids stuff. You yeah. Know what yeah, I mean? absolutely. I mean, <laughs> and then I, I started playing, you know, like actual gigs very early. So I kind of, I got out of all that. Thankfully I got mm-hmm. out of all that, like, copying drummers in my early teens. It was more about actually playing gigs. You know, I see big time guys and they're just trying to copy Bonham or, or, or copy Bill Ward or copy Ian Pace, but a lot of Bonham I see, which is cool, but you're just going to be a bad version of Bonham. Yeah, Yeah. And Bonham doesn't always fit into other bands, you know, yeah, it just yeah. doesn't always work, you know? And, yeah, and not only that, it's the same patterns as well. You know, he did more than Kashmir, you know. He did do Achilles' Last Stand, and he, you know, he varied a lot of stuff where he didn't just play, like, one specific, you know, tempo. Oh, and, no, but but yeah. his style fit. Per, he was a, a counterpoint to the, yeah. the three other guys in Led Zeppelin. Yeah. But that playing Bonham in Sabbath wouldn't work. Right. You know, I've heard the guys tell stories that he even came and sat in with them at a, in a studio and it sounded like it didn't sound very good. You right, know, that's right, from right. their mouth. And maybe if Bill Ward and sat, sat in with Zeppelin, it wouldn't sound good. Yeah. You know, so you can, you can, you can only try to be yourself at the end of the day is kind of my point. Yeah, and yeah. it's great to be a fan, but at some point I think you got to, to be one of the guys, which I'm trying to be one of the guys, right. I want to stand. I want to stand on my own two feet, whether you like right. it or not. Mm-hmm. That's the goal for me. So you kind of got to get over being fanboy a little bit yeah. and do what you do. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. That's that's my point of view on where I'm kind of heading. Yeah, makes sense. Um, obviously, we're mentioning you know your connections with Sabbath and you played with Ozzy and with Alice Cooper and so on and so forth. Do you think that that helps or hinders you when you try to do your own project? Do people put certain expectations on you um, because of that, or does that not even come into play? It doesn't come into play. You know, I just kind of made a record for my own enjoyment. I'm not taking taking it too seriously. I had this downtime <laughs> with this worldwide shutdown and I just yeah. tried to make a rock and roll record in the style and the vein that I enjoy mm-hmm. um, because there was no music going on. And I finally yeah. had a, a big block of time to go do something. 
um, meaning a record of my own. So right. I went and did it. But, you know, I don't worry about other people. I just move forward and do my thing. It doesn't catch my radar. You know, I'm never going to be a drummer who, who gets on the number one on the polls or all this kind of stuff. You will never see my name right. because, uh, first of all, I don't care. Second of all, I'm not in that. I'm not a drumistic drummer. That's mm -hmm. not what I do. And I don't talk drumistic things. I don't I don't subscribe to it. It's not my path. So right. I'm not concerned with other drummers, especially. I'm the last people I'm concerned with is other drummers to try to impress. <laughs> right. In fact, I think that's the kiss of death, to be right. honest with you. First of all, you want to be concerned with who's paying you or hiring you. And you want the guys on stage, you want to be the best drummer they've ever had. That's what I'm concerned mm -hmm. with. That's where my focus is on. And then the audience after there, mm -hmm. you know, I want to pay respect to them and give them a good evening that they paid their hard earned money. So mm -hmm. I'm going to play my guts out for them. I play for the audiences and the people on stage. And that mm -hmm. doesn't always translate into a lot of, um, getting a pat on the back from other right. musicians, you know, from the guys I care about, it does. I notice real musicians who get it, understand mm -hmm. what you're doing. But when you're pyrotechnic guy and there's, a, we know who's out there who gets a lot, a lot of drum accolades. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very easy to, for people to go, Oh, he's great. Mm-hmm because they see the pyrotechnics in it. It's like, I'll, I'll go back to the basketball reference. When you're, when you're, you know, you're the guy who gets the assist, you know, yeah. who passes the ball to the, to the three point shooter, three point shooter is going to get the, the pat on the back, but yeah. not the assist guy, but mm -hmm. coaches and other players are going to go. Yeah. But that guy gets, he gets yeah. us the score every, you know, and that's how I look at my drumming. I mm -hmm. want to, bring the band i want to bring the band up so they're a great band on stage mm -hmm. i don't i don't need to shine above i want it to be a unit up there yeah yeah and obviously you wouldn't have worked with all the people that you have worked <laughs> had it have been different you know as as you're saying there's you know i've i've seen comments on social media about you know people playing 200 beats per minute or hitting splash symbols every other you know note i i remember there was this um interaction a few years ago between mike portnoy and, and matt sorum and portnoy point uh, posted something to the effect of hey matt why did you play the same drum fill in november rain every whatever measures and Sorum responded with, well, that's what I was paid to play. And that's how I was asked to play. And yep. he basically said, you know, no matter how many beats you're hitting in a hundred years, people are going to remember uh, Ringo Starr, John Bonham, X amount of people, regardless whether I played double bass for X amount of measures, instead of playing the fill, I was asked to play. Says no one's going to remember that then. So I yeah, just I would, want, yeah. I would tend to agree with them on that one. Absolutely, yeah. no. Yeah, it's I kind just, of an it's kind of an you know when people say that you know if you don't know the answer to that that should that gives you kind of what they're about. You right. know, if right. you've got to ask that question, you're missing something about what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it one hundred percent. And look. How many people have wanted to be in your position playing with Ozzy and how many years have you been playing with him? So that's a testament to all this as well. You know, there's been a lot of fly-by-nighters or flashy players, as you're saying, but can they do the part? You know, so um, everything you're saying makes sense. Um, the songs that you have on Rock Trip beat up, but Tommy's Rock Trip beat up by rock and roll. Uh, were these all songs that you put together during the pandemic or were these songs that you were compiling beforehand? No, I had never written a song in my life. Oh, wow. Prior, prior to ever doing this. So it was yes, yeah, specifically for this. Wow. And I just kind of crammed them out last minute. And, you know, sometimes it works out good that way, you mm -hmm. know, when you're under a little pressure. Yeah. Wow. That I've, 
honestly, not bullshitting you. I would have never guessed that because, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people now are doing the quote unquote retro rock stuff where they're trying to um, uh, use certain instruments, certain sounds, but the songs aren't there. Whereas the feeling in these songs really are a throwback, but at the same time, they don't sound sonically 100% like they were recorded then. It's kind of a mix of both. It's kind of a mix of modern sound with an old school feel. Uh, Would that be a fair assessment? I'd say absolutely. The approach and the recording, you know, we recorded it in one room. Okay. No, no trickery. There was no click tracks, no, no cutting and pasting. Uh We didn't even wear, we didn't even wear headphones, meaning that I'm listening to the guitar amp. I'm listening to the bass amp and they're listening to my drums. So, and I just wanted to get a raw performance captured of three guys as a rhythm track, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what we did. You know, so often you're, you're confined with headphones and cables and you can't hear the same way. I wanted it to be as live as possible. So I just wanted to get the the best sounds that, you know, we didn't make a big stink about it. I recorded it in a barn with a buddy of mine who I knew would kind of get what I was going to do. And we threw up some mics and kind of, Oh, should we move it a little? Okay. Well, that's where it sounds best done. Let's get the drums. Let's, you know, do we got to dampen that a little bit? Sure. Okay. That sounds good. Move on Mm -hmm. and, and, and make more of the focus on, getting a good performance you know i don't think that when drums sound you know like they're recorded at you know the biggest studio in the world these huge fake drums i don't think that makes the music any better right you know it can but that's what i i wasn't after that all my favorite records you know maybe you the drums don't even sound good Mm -hmm. it's not about that maybe you can't even hear the bass drum you know a lot of music you can't even tell what's going on but but there's something there. So I wanted to yeah. capture that vibe and that rawness of playing. And I think I did do that. You know, did I use some cool amps that I knew would sound good? Yeah. Stuff that I have and cool drums that I knew would sound good. Yeah. But I wasn't after trying to go like, oh, I need this to sound like Jimi Hendrix guitar or right. George Harris guitar. Because then you're just, it's so derivative derivative it you know it sounds like a bad version of whatever you know it's like yeah okay the drums sound like bonham but so what you know does it does it serve the song no so i think we kind of got our own little sound out Mm -hmm. of just playing together you know and creating the best sound without making too much of a big stink about it you know so it was kind of like kids going in i just wanted to kind of keep that rawness of hey let's just you know you know we're not going to spend eight hours getting drum sounds by that time you don't even want to go in the studio right you know you want to keep the the momentum going you know we would blow up a guitar amp and i would literally grab another one and put it where the other one is and mic it and turn it on and let's go again while you're you're hot and sweaty you know right because being in that moment that's the most important thing to me you know, getting the vibe, you know? Yeah, it it definitely sounds like that, as you're saying it. The the album, I think there's two things. It's a fun album, uh, without a doubt. And the second thing is it really, again, sounds like something, you know, old school in the sense, like what you're describing, people in a tight little space, just jamming something out and, and, getting something out there. I think what you're saying, 100%, you have so many things where people are trying to capture a specific sound to make that sound like it came out 40 years ago, but it's missing that attitude. And it feels like that attitude is in this playing. Yeah. Because at the bottom, at the bottom of it all, it's got to be good musicians and it's got to be good music. Yeah. You know, and then how do you translate that on tape? Mm-hmm. You know, I've played on records and sometimes it didn't get translated because you're right. using all this technology and you're you're playing to some loops and everybody's trying to go get that energy out of the music 
the way bands used to, but then they don't right. want to put the work in to do it. You know, you right. when you're playing just us in a room and there's no technology, if somebody makes a mistake, you got to do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't want to cut and paste and you want to get one perform, you got to do the whole thing. Yeah, and yeah. that's a that is more of a tough job mm-hmm. than me coming in and you know recording the guitars separate, and then I can take my time with the drums. I didn't want to have any part of that. So I really enjoyed the old school aspect of that because that's how I play music is, you know, you got to fly by the seat of your pants. Mm -hmm. That being said, you have to rehearse and you got to know where you're going. You got to know where you're going so you can improvise within that structure, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think bands used to put more work back in the day. So we just did like, you know, we got in my rehearsal room and rehearsed for like four or five days and learned all the stuff. We went over and over and over. By the time we got in the studio, we just did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, the muscle memory was there. You guys knew where yeah, you were Yeah, a little going. muscle memory, yeah. so you know where you're going, but you yeah. don't want to beat it to death so there's not that spark. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes so the, st- whole record, the whole record was done in... The whole record from first recording to mastering was done in two and a half weeks. Holy shit. <laughs> you know, we, re- we recorded amazing. all the, all the, you know, instrumental tracks in three and a half days, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. So, um, you said the three of you were jamming. Who are your other two, um, counterparts that were in the, in that barn with you? In the room was a, a great bass player, younger guy, um, named Elliot Larongo, who's a great bass player, and I'm very proud of how he played on the album. And then a, a guitar player from Japan called Now Nakashima. And then I had a young guitar player named Hank, who uh, played some of the leads afterwards. Okay. After the, the basic tracks were done. Okay. <laughs> and you sing some of the tracks on the album, you sing three tracks. Um, I did, yeah. Similar to you saying before that it was the first time that you had written anything. This was the first time you sung anything, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Don't hold it against my drumming. You know, the (laughs) only reason I ended up singing was because, you know, Eric Dover sang lead on 95% of the album and he's got a great voice. Right. There was, I had initially laid out, what they call scratch vocals for him to learn the melodies and the lyrics and kind of know, you know, this is what I want you to sing. Mm -hmm. Um, But three of the tracks, I listened to the scratch vocals and I go, man, those sound kind of cool for that. They kind of had a a vibe. And I said, you know, let's just, just, let's just leave it. So I just left it. It was that simple. Cool. I'm not um, a singer by any means, and it's not any kind of career move. It was just, you know, one of the songs on the album is called Make Me Smile. It's about my lovely wife, who is the most sexiest woman I've ever met. And that's right. all about her. So I go, well, I got to sing that. Right. Or it's not or it's not. I can't have Eric sing it. She'll fall in love with him. Right. Um, and then there's a, the last song on the album is called The Power of Three, mm-hmm. which is about my daughter who's going to be four years old. And we call, you know, it's me, my wife, and my daughter. It's the power mm-hmm. of three. That song is about us. And that was a gift to my daughter. I go, I got to sing that or it's not from my heart, you know? Right. And then the, the last song was called beat up by rock and roll. And it's kind of my take on what this whole madness is kind right. of how I feel, you know, it, it sounds like a negative song beat up by rock and roll. Like it's, it's bringing me down, but I kind of get strength out of it. So yeah. I go, I got to sing that. And that's kind of how it happened. Mm-hmm. How did you get Eric involved in this? Was he the guy that you wanted to work with initially? Or how exactly did you manage to, or not manage, but why did you decide to to have him come in and do it? I know me and Eric played in Alice Cooper's band together. I think oh, okay. it was right. 2004. Mm-hmm. And I always liked Eric's let's say wackiness. He's got a wackiness to him. He's a avant-garde guy. And right. I like, as much as I'm a straight ahead guy, I wanted something different on my album. And I know Eric is a great rock and roll singer. In fact, right. I think he's more of a, a rock singer than people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. I, he really shines on the stuff. And I knew that 
his avant-garde approach and his he has a a timbre to his voice that's different but really fits with hard rock music really good. Right. I couldn't have asked him to do a better job. He was, he's a great talent in the studio and live. You know, all I right. had to say, say was do it like this. And he just, he just does it. He's a talent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have to like teach him how to do it. He just does it. And he, you right. know, he took my ideas and he's got a great voice. So it was very simple and it was an easy choice. The other cool thing that I really like about the album is no two songs sound alike. Um, I've been hearing from people over the years how, oh, well, if band X is playing or band Y is playing, everything on the album has to sound the same in order for them to sell that to an audience. And my train of thought is always the same that, you know, when I grew up listening to music, it was never like that. You put an album on beginning to end. And it was a musical journey. No song sounded alike. And I think that's a lost art. And listening to this again, every song is completely different to make you want to listen to everything there. I think they are. There's a lot of different, some songs are funkier than the others. Some are bluesier, but I think they all follow under the same kind of umbrella where it kind of fits, Mm -hmm. you know, because of the approach Right. Because it's guys playing in a room and, you know, I didn't want it to be too straight ahead and Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be too wacky either. You know, there's there's the fine line there of getting too cutesy wootsy with stuff. Right. You know, where you lose people, Mm -hmm. you know, so I wanted to be tight and impactful. But that being said, I wanted some musicality to come through, too. Sure. Because because it's kind of what I dig. You know, I dig things that have some movement to them and maybe some clever parts, but they're not too clever. You know, there may be a section where you go, Holy shit, what was that? And then it comes you back in the riff, you know, like some cool hits or something. Um, But that's just cool rock and roll stuff. Even if you listen to ACDC, it may seem very simple, Mm -hmm. but when you sit down and learn little things in there, it's not very simple. Right. You listen to some early Aerosmith. There's parts in this stuff that mm-hmm. that when it's when it's executed properly, mm-hmm. it doesn't trick your ear too much to where you get disjointed. It all flows. Right. You know, I kind of wanted to sneak that stuff in there to where it just enhances the listening, hopefully, and doesn't take you away from, you know, getting into it. Yeah, it's just it's just a part of this. You know, it's like if I play a drum solo, I want I don't want to lose the crowd. I Mm want to corral them. Sure. And have them go with me. And then also it's timing and phrasing that's very Mm -hmm. important in music. You know, it's not all if you're you know, you know, you listen to these guitar players are drummers. It's just a endless, endless yeah, that absolutely <laughs> so when it's time to really do something there's no you know there's no climax yeah there's no place you know? to and go that, yeah. that goes for everything in life you mm-hmm. know you want to build to a climax you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> i agree the I'll, I'll tell you my holy shit moment every time that i hear this song it grabs me the chorus to welcome to the show <laughs> There's just something about it that once it goes into that course, it just has something that just sucks me in. It's like, yeah, this kicks ass. Hey, cool. So. I'm, glad, I'm glad you enjoy it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, that, that was the aim. Awesome. There's a famous journalist that I follow who has a podcast. And one of the most, one of the things that I disagree with him the most is that he always says that he doesn't want to hear an album by, someone's bass player or someone's drummer or things like that. Um, I I can't say I don't disagree sometimes. (laughs) Okay. So what do you think you've done with this album to dissuade someone like that with their opinion? I think I approach things more with a band attitude. Okay. And I don't think I'm not a drumistic drummer, so I don't think, the same right. way 
musicians. I don't think in a musician way. I think in a band way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's different. I don't think you hear, this is not a drummer's record at all. Right. It's not a, you know, it's not an instrumental record at mm-hmm. all. And it doesn't take that approach. It sounds, I think you could put this on the radio and and go, okay, that fits in with classic rock radio. Right. So, I mean, and I think a lot of people don't think that drummers can be musical. And that was kind of one of the reasons that I, I go, why, why not make a record? People right. don't think I can write songs. People don't think that I can put a band together. People don't know that I can do these things. Mm-hmm. I know, I believe I can. Mm-hmm. So why not? You know? Sure. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, where I'm coming from, I'm coming from that attitude. So I think, it was a, a point of mine to to get that out there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You're, you're not finding, for anyone that's watching or listening to this interview, you're not going to hear any musical wankery. It's all about the attitude no. of the song. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm not a fan of that stuff. Yeah. You know, sometimes it calls for a, you know, a moment in time. You know, sure. you'll hear me play flurries on the drums, but for the most part, I think people think I'm a busier drummer than I really am because they may see two bass drums. And, you know, I get people say heavy metal. They always start to say heavy metal. And I'm like, I'm really not heavy metal. I'm about as I'm pretty damn straight ahead in my approach. You know, when it calls for it, I play heavy gigs. Mm-hmm. But but Black Black Sabbath to me is a rock band. They're heavy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, but. You know, Ted Nugent is heavy, but he's rock. Yeah, yeah. You know, and to me, it's the same as ACDC. You just take that bass drum away, mm-hmm. you know. So, it, you know, you got to know when to just throttle through. Mm-hmm. And that goes for every instrument. And maybe what this journalist guy is talking about, that mo- 99% of musicians are very self-serving, mm-hmm. you know, and I never want to come off that way. I want to be a different, all the guys that I've worked for, they know how to play for the audience or play for the music. And that's what I'm interested in. And, and I think this little experiment of a record that I did that it shows who I am musically, hopefully. Right. Um, Coming to the close of the interview here, I do want to ask you, um, you've played with so many big name musicians. Is there anyone left on your wish list to uh, to play with, to play with? Dead or alive or both? How about both? Okay. Man, I would have loved to play with Jimi Hendrix. I okay. think we could create some racket. I would have loved to play for Elvis Presley. You know, he has one of my oh. favorite drummers, a guy named Ronnie Tut who's actually one of the early double bass rocker guys. He just had such a cool style. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would love to play for Bob Seger. I'm a huge Bob Seger fan. Oh, um, mm-hmm. I'd love to play for ACDC. I'd love to play for Aerosmith. I'd love to. I mean, there's so many great bands yeah, yeah, yeah. out there, <laughs> you know, uh, but I've been so fortunate to play for great bands that I love and I wanted to play for. Right. You know, I remember my dad took me to go see Alice Cooper when I was like 12 or something. And I go, I'm going to play in his band. And I remember him getting me like a live Ozzy DVD in Washington going, I'm going to play in his band. Right. And, you know, like my dad t- taking me to see Mitch Ryder locally in Detroit. And I go, oh, I can play in his band. I ended up playing in his band. And, yeah, wow. you know, growing up in Detroit and you you see old Ted Nugent road cases on gigs or posters right. in a record store. And then you end up playing for that guy. And it's it's all I, I wouldn't say that. I never, I always knew it would happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I just mean it that it's where I was going and my mind was always there. I feel blessed to do so, but I always worked towards it and knew that these things were coming my way. And I know more is coming my way. So maybe I'll get to play for some of these people that I mentioned, <laughs> you know, besides the dead ones. Um, but it ain't, I'm, I ju- I'm just getting warmed up. Could you see a follow-up to this album having more of, say, like guest singers or anything like that? 
I don't know what it depends what mood I would be in, to okay. be honest with you. I don't know. I kind of like just decide if something comes up, this yeah, is what okay. I'm doing. And I, I don't think I would want to have multiple anything because I don't like that. It never sounds unison. Right. If I had to guess, probably not. Mm-hmm. I would love to use Eric again. He's saying great. If, if the opportunity ever presented itself and then maybe we could do something different, you know, but the right. same. OK, um, at this point, with everything that's still going on in the world, what does the rest of 2021 have in store for you? Well, I have gigs coming up. I just signed on with this band, the Dead Daisies. Oh, okay, and, we have, and we have gigs coming up in June and July. Okay. And then who knows who really knows the future right at this moment? Right. Nobody does. Yeah. So. Okay. And where should people go to keep up with what you have going on? I guess. Well, I know I don't, I'm not on any social media okay. under my own name. I'm not interested. In fact, I'm, I'm, so far removed from that side of things but i okay. know they started a tommy's rock trip all the stuff if you just look up tommy's rock trip then there's some you know band info on there for the record and stuff like that awesome okay but i'm horrible at all this social media stuff in fact i shy away from it because who cares what right. i'm eating lunch or <laughs> that i broke a drumstick i don't care you know right yeah, time time to uh, replace a snare head or something like that, right? Yes, yeah, it's just it's just not for me. I'm not I'm not I'm I'm too busy with my my daughter and my life to be doing that stuff. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate your time. I not blowing smoke up your ass. I thoroughly enjoy the album and I wish you much success with it. Hey Victor, I really appreciate you taking the time and having me on. All the best to you and thank you everybody out there. I hope you enjoy the album and I, and I really enjoyed making it for everybody. And I like it. If you guys like it, what a bonus. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Thank you, Victor. Have a good one, buddy. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 